Jim, I told you about the R&D tax credit, the federal R&D that I took advantage of several years ago. Did you do anything with that? I did. I called them and we set up our discovery call. But I have to tell you, I was shocked at the amount of granular information they required to build my case. Right. Well, I mean, I know you didn't want another thing on your plate. I literally got anxiety due to the multiple years of data and the detail of the data that they needed. But the thing was, I knew the pro shop was identifying and tracking this data. The problem was I just did not know how to extract it. So I set up a Zoom meeting with the company, the R&D company, and one of the founders of ProShop, Kelsey Hecoop. It was a really productive meeting, to say the least. And the R&D team just asked what class of jobs, the hours, the costing, and more. And we were able to download the information immediately and email to them in real time. It was really another great reason to have ProShot that I had no idea would help me in the future. Well, it just goes to show when you choose the right ERP system, it can really help you to save more money. Bam. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my two number-crunching co-hosts, Jim Carr, the original, and Nick Golner, the new addition. The new addition. <laughs> Sounds like a band. Are you number-crunching? I'm not that big of a number. I mean, I do crunch numbers quite often because that's the role I'm in, and I'm not bad at it, but I'm certainly not a number cruncher. So before I get into this episode, like when I said new edition, that kind of reminded me of something that was really funny. So my wife went out with one of her girlfriends the other night to like a Chicago festival, and they had a tribute band. So they had like some kind of like boy band tribute band playing at this festival Ugh. that she was at. Yeah. And they were like dancing while they were singing and all the other kind of stuff. And I, <laughs> when I saw the video, I texted my wife and I was like, I don't know if that's the best thing ever or the worst thing ever or both of them at the same time. I think oh, it's the worst. I'll go with the worst thing. Yeah. It was a like the best and the worst tribute. Of it was funny because Ugh. they were playing like a lot of like old school songs. So that's why that's just funny. Like funny and you know, and they were trying to dance along. It wasn't new, new edition. edition. Is that like a thing? Yeah. 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 They were like the original Backstreet Boys, right? I don't know which came first. Who knows? I wasn't like into that. Uh, well, no, a new edition was around in the mid 80s. I was listening to like yeah. Metallica and Motley Crue. Yeah, I was like just saying, never gonna cross my yeah. playlist. I was not a Metallica. Anyway, so what I want to ask you guys is how much do you really like your employees or are they just like a means to some kind of end for you, like meeting some kind of objective? It's a real question. Do you, you really ask, are like you asking me? Or yeah, I'm, I'll ask you first, Jim. I mean, do you really like your employees? 100% I care about them. Okay. Probably more than a lot of employers care about them, but... We can't be like friends because I, at the end of the day, I still am the leader of this company and I have to create an environment that is running efficiently. And we can't, you know, we can't just be the Google and come and go as we please and, and mm -hmm. all those good things. Right, right. But I generally do care about them. Hopefully they feel the same way about me because I treat them very well. I think a lot of times maybe you're, and I call them, we could talk about this in another episode. I call them like, you know, call them employees. I call them team members. And right. I think a lot of times they maybe don't realize that we do care about them. For those of us that do care about the individuals on their team, they probably maybe don't believe it as much as 
it is true. Seems like the more you crunch numbers or hold people accountable to targets, the less they feel like you like them. And, and we're going to talk about that a little when, bit. When actually, like, if you do hold people accountable, probably because you do care about them, right? Right. Yeah. But some people are just like, okay, these are resources. These are human resources. Yeah. And these they're are like robots and machines, yeah. you know? Yeah. But for me, to answer the question, like, I think my challenge is I really like a lot of the guys that we work with. And we, are, some girls, we kind right? of are friends. You have some girls too. Don't try to don't be sexy. Well, there's some girls too, but not in the fantasy football league. Uh huh. Oh, okay. So like that's what came to mind. You know, yeah, I like these guys. Like we did a fantasy football draft recently. It was super fun. You like hanging out with them. Yeah, and it's, so you got to be careful there too. Like you got to be point. really careful. There's definitely a line you got to put up somewhere. But yeah, I mean, I'm, and I'm I would, glad that I, I could consider friends. I would question though. you on that based on my own yeah. experiences. So let's talk about that on another episode. But what we want to talk about today is just one aspect of how not to treat your employees, or as I mentioned, how I call them team members. I have not read your show structure at all yet, but I don't think I'm going to be applicable for any most of those naughty things that you're going to... This is not just for you, Jim. This is going to be for the Metalworking right. Nation. I know. And just to give somebody, just give the manufacturing leaders out there something to think about. I think it's important to have this discussion because you'd be surprised. I think it's more prevalent in the larger the company. Oh, for sure. How much a lot of people, the way I look at it is like these are every single person is somebody that uniquely made and, you know, like they need to be treated that way, are treated like just a machine or a number or something like that. So before we go there, who wants to tell me about something great going on in their company or their lives? I don't have questions to ask you in order to determine. But Nick, you're looking at me and Jim's looking the other way. Because so I did the conversation? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so it's not a huge thing. It's kind of work-related, but mostly not. Okay. We really had a lot of fun just cracking up in the fantasy football draft I think that's a good with story. all the guys from work. For the metalworking age, we talked about this a little bit off mic. Like you had a work function that was fantasy football. Yeah. yeah so I think it, that's cool. It's like the banter in the company, you know, who's yeah. going to trade players with who and why'd this guy pay and that it's exclusively much exclusively for, for your company? Like Jim and I are not invited. Yeah. Well, there's, I think there's a couple people who are in our company because we need to fill out some spots with people who play fantasy football. That's a good thing to do with your team. I mean, we like going out for margaritas every once in a while, but I think the fantasy football thing is good. Because it's like a kind of an ongoing conversation throughout the week. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And you can jab each other when you, exactly. beat, when you beat somebody or whatever. Get beat. Yeah. So I have some manufacturing news that I want to discuss. This is from the Wall Street Journal. And the title is, A Generation of American Men Give Up on College. I Just Feel Lost. And what it says for the subtitle is, A number of men enrolled at two and four-year colleges has fallen behind women by record levels, and a widening education gap across the United States. Mm. Men are abandoning higher education in such numbers that they now trail female college students by record levels. Wow. I mean, the way that I read this is that if this trend continues, women are going to be enrolled in colleges two to one. Over really? Men. Two to one? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Further says in the article, at the close of the twenty. 20, 2021 academic year, women made up 59.5% of college students, an all-time high, and men, 40.5, according to enrollment data from the National Student Clearinghouse, a nonprofit research group, U.S. colleges and universities had 1.5 million fewer students compared with five years ago, and men accounted for 71% of the decline. So not only is there a decline Why? in overall students, what is driving but men this? are a huge part of the decline. Well, Jim, I mean, a lot of it could have to do with some of the stuff we talk about on the show, which is maybe a college education isn't right for everybody. And 
a lot of times these but why colleges, is it gender specific well it just says that that men in general feel lost so at my church we did a lot of study i was part of like a men's group and we did a large study of manhood and we did this not only for ourselves but also for those of us who are parents of men mm-hmm. but the whole notion of what it means to be a man has changed drastically over the last, say, 100 years. So if you think about like human existence in the span of thousands of years, manhood has changed a lot over the last, I mean, so, and so is womanhood, but like I'm a man, so that's what I'm you know, thinking about has changed a lot. So for example, it, what it used to be is that it was assumed that a boy would do the same thing as their father and that that, I guess, What's the word for when you're kind of like training somebody? That apprenticeship, yeah, kind apprenticeship, of start, yeah. I was going to say shepherding, but like that apprenticeship would kind of start at a very early age. A lot of it had to do with farming and you created a bond and a desire for that person to reach that manhood and be like their dad because Learn of the that family training. trade. Exactly. Yeah. And for those of us that are in a family business, like you and your son, me and my dad, you and your dad, that's a great thing that we still have. But not everybody is in a family business like we have. I think it's one of the greatest advantages of family business, but a lot of men don't have that. And now with like, you know, technology and everything, there's probably just a lot of kids that are playing video games and they're like, I don't want to go to school. Like, I just want to stay at my parents' house and, you know, and, and do what? And, and get married and have their kids and live with Well, they're not even thinking about that a lot of times. You know what I mean? So to be clear, when I think about my undergraduate experience, okay, I went to Washington University in St. Louis. And one of the things that was most striking to me when I went there is that they had a women's campus, okay, that was constructed at a later time than when the university was founded. And my university was very cutting edge to have that women's campus. So it was like a U-shaped set of buildings, okay? And then there was a very large fence that went from one end of the U to the other end in order to keep men out of those buildings. Oh, come on. No, I'm serious. So this is a very interesting dichotomy because like back in the day, it was exclusively men that went to college. Was it like barbed wire and razor fence? I don't know if you're not even that spiked wrought iron. No way, really? I I mean, I I believe. You're relatively young. No, no, Jim, it wasn't active when I was there. It wasn't an active thing. It was just, no, 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 no. You were going to college. The buildings were there and we still called it the women's buildings because that's the original And that old architect basis. was still intact? Well, the, the buildings were still there. Yeah. Okay. And we called them the women's buildings. And that was the basis of why they were constructed But it's not like the was, they were segregated or anything. Not now. No, yeah. not when I was oh, there. But, but when I it was thought... first built, they were segregated. Okay. Got you it. Know? So that's what I'm trying to say. The history of that building, which was very progressive at the time for a university to have that many women on campus. Right. That was in play, but it wasn't in play when we were there. It was just still, it was just another building that sure. was called the women's building. It was part of the history. But I mean, this has less to do with like, it's great that there's a lot of women that are attending university, this but this has to do with the men. This is very alarming It is. Me. Uh-huh. And I actually just peeked and you, again, I remember you saying you got it from the Wall Street Journal, but I'd love to understand what's driving this. So that's one of my questions. So is it because college has become kind of overrated from a professional standpoint. Well, so you can learn a lot from podcasts and YouTubes and books and online learning. I mean, because if you think about like there's some, say, marketing professionals out there who have MBA equivalent online classes that you don't necessarily need a right. undergraduate degree to have. Yeah. Um, and not to sidebar too much, but part of that is like marketing 
Marketing like, is different. The maybe. study yeah. of marketing is like how how you would get a degree if you wanted to be in like a commercial leadership position, like a head of sales. Yeah. Or- you know, they don't really have sales. They do actually have sales degrees, but it's more like you go to school for marketing. Yeah, but I you mean, know? think about it. Like, if you're going to be a machinist, why not connect with Titan? You don't need to right. go have an undergraduate degree. But if you're going to be an engineer, you may you need, need that. To, you know, if you're going to be a professional I wonder engineer, if it's cost, too. Cost is a big thing. I mean, those colleges, I mean, it's just ridiculous how much they're charging. And it's like, for what? I don't necessarily know that the total enrollment numbers are down. It's no, it just, said no. They were no. It said total enrollment. Oh, total enrollment. It had a one point five million dollar fewer students compared to five years ago, and men accounted for seventy one percent of the decline. Okay, so one and a half million fewer students. What is that percentage of decline? I don't know what the percentage is, but yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, it, that might only be a two percent reduction in enrollment. I don't know the exact number, but it's a big number, Jim. Yeah. If you think about the number of college age people that there are, it's a it's and a you know big what's number. funny? It's 2020, 2021. And you know, let's face it, last year was a mess with school and education because masks and Zoom. This is not like a blip. This is a gradual oh. trend that they're seeing is picking up speed. Okay. So it, this is not a blip that we're talking about, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, mm-hmm. good to bring that up. So what does this mean for manufacturing? So that's kind of what I wanted to get to. So can we, as manufacturing leaders, frame this up as an opportunity for these young men to try out manufacturing? So go through one of Titan's courses, do an internship with Jim or another manufacturing leader, Attend your trade school. Take a chance at that. So for, you know, like the young men out there that are like, you know, I just don't know if going to university is for me. Try out the manufacturing trades. Think about becoming a machinist. Think about the entrepreneurial opportunities that could present to you in the future if you learn this. I mean, we just talked about, it was like last episode or two episodes ago or whatever, but we talked about like maybe the days of the freelance contract machinist for hire type thing. Are coming, yeah. you know, because they're yeah. certainly well, valuable. Temp agencies that have that, right? Yeah, but I'm talking master machinist level, like someone who can make way over six figures. That's what it was in my mind, not like a temp agency okay. type style. So the other thing that it makes us think about is okay, so if there's an overwhelming number of women that are going to be attending university compared to men, I know from my experience working with engineering departments at manufacturers, it's usually overwhelmingly men who are the engineers. So we should also want to say, okay, to the women out there who are going to compose, presumably, possibly two to one over the men, we want them to be looking at a career in, say, mechanical engineering, going into manufacturing as something that is for them. And we want to make them feel welcome in an engineering department, say, like at your company, Nick, Mm -hmm. as a woman in manufacturing. So we want to be welcoming to them as well. So I think those are a couple of the thoughts that come to mind as it relates to this. We have some awesome female engineers that recently... Graduated from college and work for Hennig and they, oh, they do that's a good awesome. job. Yeah. And you know what? We've talked about this, Jim, like going back years ago when you and I had like a period of time where we were talking about women in, in manufacturing a lot. Well, it's and, still relevant. And it's still, well, of course it is. We, we were talking about it then and we haven't talked about it again in a while. But women, I believe a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times bring a different thought process to problem solving and other things that I think are, is very valuable saying like an engineering department. So I think that it's something that we really should welcome and be open to and be promoting right now. Right on, man. Sweet. Yeah. 
I totally agree with that. But we don't want to treat them like a number. We don't want to treat them like we a number. We don't want to treat them like a number. That's what we're going to talk about right now. Hey guys, you know I've been trying to locate a machine monitoring system that is easy to install with minimal onboarding, right? I have to tell you, Amper Technologies reached out to me. Akshat, their founder, has been on the show before. He sent me two units to install on my CNCs under their 30-day pilot program. It's been nothing but easy peasy. Ryan snapped them on. We waited a few days to validate and collect the data, and away we go. Check them out at amper.xyz and look under products for their pilot program. Bam. This has kind of come to top of mind just based on conversations that I've had with other people out there. But I want to talk about treating your team like a number as compared to treating them like an individual. And specifically, what I'm referring to is I've seen this trend where everything is about data, right? It's data, data, data. We had our friend from Amper Technology on the show, and data is becoming this thing where everybody wants to harvest data. Am I right? Absolutely. And I think that you could take it a step too far. Like it's possible to have like a little bit of an imbalance in the data that you're looking to to take. And so like I've got an example of that. So one of the things that I heard about, and this was on Russell Brand's podcast. Are you familiar with him? I yeah, know he, who he is. Yeah. He's like funny as heck. He's a comedian. He's a social commentator. He's an interviewer like a Joe Rogan. He's got a very popular podcast and stuff like that. He's all like new age with his beliefs. and Yeah, he's, he's a little bit weird. Yeah, I'm not like really into like those kind of beliefs that he has and stuff like that. But, you know, he's kind of funny as it relates to like social commentary and stuff he's, like he's that. He's a really thoughtful guy too. Yeah. He's very thoughtful. Yeah. And he's got that English accent that is really English that I like have a hard time understanding, you know, understanding sometimes. Yeah. I like to listen to my podcast at like either one and a half or two times Oh, don't speed, do that. And I can't oh, just can't yeah. do it with him. Yeah, not with him. And wasn't so. he married to Katy Perry? And he was married to Katy Perry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was very famous. I mean, he used to be in a lot of movies and stuff like that. And I think he's traded the whole movie thing for the podcast commentary and interviewing. So anyway, he talked about that Amazon, their delivery service, that they have this app that their delivery people need to carry around. And that app tracks everything. You mean and an app on their phone? An app on their phone, you know, as they're delivering the packages yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, they take a picture of the part. And yeah, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Exactly. It's tracking their every move. And they probably have to like check in and show that they're wearing a mask and, you know, like all that kind of stuff, whatever. And Big brother, man. It is big brother. I know. And if you haven't read that book, 1984, you, d- you definitely should. So apparently what Amazon is doing is that they're tracking these metrics and they're tracking a lot of metrics that say like are outside of the control of the actual employee. And they're using that to evaluate them. And keep in mind, these are metrics that are outside of their control. And whenever you start tracking metrics or holding people accountable to metrics, it needs to be something that is within their control. Because if it's not within their control, what is the point? Right, exactly. And apparently they've taken it so far that they're actually firing them through the app if they don't meet the metrics what? that they, they're not in control of. Yeah. I'd like to know a little bit more yeah, about this. give me an this. example. Yeah. Well... I don't know what the metrics are, but I would assume that the metrics have something to do with like, you know, on-time delivery or getting the package, you know, to and from the Leading place. It at the right place. Exactly. At the property. Exactly. But I think, I think Russell Brand, when he described this, he described it as treating the people like 
disposable cattle or zombies living in an algorithm. It is kind of like that if you think about it. Like they're treating these people like a zombie, like somebody that doesn't have a brain and is just working within this, you know, computerized algorithm and not caring. Well, what they're trying to do is they're marrying a human element to automation. Yeah. But that's the way the trend is going. Do you think in the future that we're going to have robots delivering parts for Amazon or boxes for Amazon? Oh, yeah. I would assume so. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In uh, an autonomous car, right? Yeah. I mean, didn't you an see that like, Pizza Hut commercial? Oh, yeah. yeah. Where it, like, an autonomous car is going to pull up in front of your house or your business, and a robot's going to jump out with your package, and it's going to drop it on the front door, and it's going to take a picture of it right out of its eye. <laughs> and then it's going to send you that email that says that package has been delivered to your front door. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to go back into the autonomous car and it's going to take off. I just hope it doesn't try to like kill me if I don't, you know, like, I don't know. It's only going to try and kill isn't you that, it's programmed. Isn't to that what happened in the Will you. Smith movie? It is. It's programmed to try and kill you. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> isn't that what happened in the Will yes, Smith movie? It's iRobot. So, iRobot. Yeah. Jim just described iRobot. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that movie. Yeah. It's horrible. Is it really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. They'll kill so, you, man. I understand Amazon's position. So you empathize with Amazon? I didn't say that. <laughs> I said I understand their objectives. Oh, of course. Their objective is that make money above all things. Well, they're a very progressive emerging company. Oh, they've emerged. But they're emerging even more. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's true. But they are trying to be better. They're, I'm sure they have continual improvement goals that they try to set all the time. And let's face it, they do a really good job at what they do. Oh, yeah. We've all become, I think, like dependent on them in an unhealthy manner almost. Oh, I love them. You know them. what I mean? I love yeah. them. I mean, it's, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because as a distributor myself as a tooling distributor they've tried to position themselves as a competitor to us and mm-hmm. you know so i've definitely been looking but at there this. are probably some items that they are competitive yeah with. there's some you yeah. know yeah there's some like on you know especially on like the commodity side and right. stuff like that so you have to prove continuous improvement right yeah. you have to demonstrate real continuous improvement and you need data to do that yeah you can't just say like well we feel like it's going a lot better oh no of course not yeah you know, I so agree. there's balance on both sides of course i, I agree 100 percent. so I want to get back to like what I want to talk about here as far as measuring data that is not helpful for the employee. So what I tried to articulate is that Amazon is measuring this data that is outside of the control of the individual. I'd like to know what those specific things are. They're setting these continual improvement processes that are, and they're putting the accountability on the human employee that's delivering it. And you're saying that it's outside of the scope of what the human can do. Is that what you're saying? What they can control. What that's they can my understanding. control. They got fired because there was a storm that blocked the street. Through the app. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know the exact reason. <laughs> so what I'd like to talk about is data can only help you so much. So I have an example in my industry. So I know several individuals who I've talked to that I have relationship with where the primary emphasis in their sales job. So like, you know, this kind of goes back to, you know, like Nick sure. and, and what your expertise is in. They're being asked to like record all the sales data that from their perspective is not really contributing to what they should be doing, which is profitable sales growth. So they're having to record every single thing that they do all day long in a very detailed manner that 
probably nobody is reading. And if they are, like, what are they actually using it for? And one of the individuals that I've talked to, he's just kind of like grinning and bearing it. Mm -hmm. And these are all very, very large companies that they work for. And the other individual just laughed the company he was working for because he just had enough. But it's like, gets to the point where like every single phone call, you have to record the exact details down to the minute of like what you talked about. Oh, that's like, a, you that's know, miserable. It, it's, it is miserable. And the question is like, would you ask other people to do that same thing? You know yeah, what I so mean? Then you record the minutes of what you talked about and you end up talking for 20 minutes about their family or something. And you got some... CRM jockey micromanager boss who's like, you know, you could have been more efficient on that sales call. A lot more efficient. You could have got right to the sales. Exactly. Right. And then the sales guy's like, no, like he's going to buy from me because I know his daughter's name is Sarah and she won her volleyball game yesterday. So what do you mean efficient? You know, like, ugh. This is kind of a side note. I've had these discussions between my customer service department and one of my sales people who do have those conversations to cultivate that relationship. And my customer service team is like, well, I hear so-and-so talking and laughing on the phone for 10 minutes and they should just get off the phone and move on to the the next conversation. It's like, no, that's actually part of their role that they're supposed to be doing that. And I don't mind that they're spending that 10 minutes having that conversation, getting to understand that person's family. That's invaluable data that I don't need to track. It's relationship building. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But that's the stigma of salespeople. Well, they just fish and play golf and exactly hang out with their friends. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm not asking my salespeople to track that data. Just in that same way, I'm not asking my accounting team to tell me how many collections calls they're making. I'm not asking my purchasing person, tell me how many quotes that you got done today. Like, those are the kind of metrics that I'm not interested in tracking for my team. But I can tell you that there's a lot of companies out there. They are so data driven. They want to know each one of those details to the nth degree as far as what all of their people are doing. And then what are they doing with it? That's the big question. We had a conversation, me and the leaders of AME and Hennig, there's like five of us yesterday. And we we were talking about compensation for salespeople. And obviously there's commissions, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like a results-based compensation. Exactly. The result, the business result is why we work, right? Mm -hmm. We are for-profit businesses. Right. So I like compensating based on the most important thing, the result. But then there's something to be said about some of the other activities that they do where there's value. And it's like, okay, well... Some of those... You're talking about like leading indicators? Yeah, sure. Okay. So there's things that a salesperson does that aren't directly correlated to sales, like closing a deal, and they're valuable for the company. You know, maybe they participate in the voice of the customer program. Maybe they represent you you at like a local open house or things like that that kind of indirectly lead to it. So our conversation was... Is every detail of how we compensate a salesperson going to be tied to an order that we booked? Mm. And the way I see it is like you've got your results based compensation. Then you've got on the other end, lagging indicator. Yeah, like a lagging. And then on the other end of it, you've got your activity detail like, okay, how many calls did you make? Mm -hmm. And whatever. How many customer visits? Yeah. And that stuff is important to a sales manager. And then in between them, you have like, Okay, so you do these activities to achieve a certain objective. And if you achieve the objective, it'll create the results. So there's something in the middle. Right. So we were talking about what are some activity-based objectives that we can compensate our salespeople for? Should you be compensating them on it? Or should you be coaching them towards doing those things and then compensating on what matters, which is the sales and the profitability side of things? So it's a mix for us. And we were having that exact discussion. We don't, it's not like we're 
geniuses that have it all figured out. But especially with sales individuals, if you don't compensate them to do something, they're driven by, like we all are, increasing their own personal compensation. Right. Of course. So they're just going to focus on whatever it is that they think is going to compensate them the most. So if you want them to do something that's maybe different than what they think is going to compensate them the most. Or maybe it's long-term versus short-term. If you match up their compensation with the desired behavior, then you'll get it. You'll get the desired behavior. So that's just what we were talking about. I didn't want to like steal the thing, but it's so relevant to what you're talking about, you know? No, I appreciate you you giving that feedback. So like we talked about this before. I just finished taking off the month of August. And when I was there, when I was gone, we had a record month of sales. It was a great month. No management, no oversight. I wasn't looking at sales metrics or anything. Jason there. is the great sales killer. He leaves, sales go up. I, well, maybe that is true. Maybe that is what <laughs> it just I so need happens to... happens that manufacturing's on fire and that... Well, that's very it. true. And it could be that my there, team is doing I mean, a good job. I, it's an anomaly, though. I'm not trying to push back on you. No, but... no, it's okay. Push back. No, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, you know... Really... I'd like to see if you did that again. Not all of my business is, say, like manufacturing and, and like the chip making. That's a large percentage of it, but that's not 100% of but it. All, I mean, industry's up, right? But the industry's up. Oh, I yeah, mean. the industry's up. Exactly. So the point is, is that like, I'm not trying to like micromanage everything that my team is doing. They're just, they have an overall objective, which is sales and profitability. And I'm trying to train them in the right things to do in order to achieve that sales and that profitability. I'm not going to them and saying, you need to do this many calls a day. You need to make this level of details in the CRM. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm doing for them. I'm trying to coach them through the process of this is our overall mission. This is what we're trying to achieve. And I'm going to coach you through the process of getting to that. But I'm not tracking the data in a manner that is forcing you to document all of that. To spend like so much of your day doing administrivia. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of like the kiss of death. I feel from an employment standpoint is like when you're asking your team to track the administration of everything that they're doing on a day-to-day basis, as opposed to saying, okay, high level, this is what we're going after. Here's the differences in our business. We are an aerospace machine shop that has an AS9100D credentialing. Mm -hmm. We are mandated by that certification to document all of our results from our machining. So it's a very data-driven, data-oriented business. We have to measure, we have to record, we have to validate, we have to look at setups, we have to time track against our jobs. So I understand the, the overarching theme that you're trying to push down to your employees as profit and everything else. And that was just a mission and not getting stuck with the minutia of recording data. But in our business, it's we're mandated by the customers that we service and the credentialing that we have to record measure all of the data. And so Jim, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm not trying to push back on you and say that you shouldn't be doing those things. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say it's is not that, that we shouldn't. Or should, well, you we have, have to, to. You have to. Exactly. We're mandated. And so like each individual on my team and their job, they do have those types of quality measurements and stuff like that. How do that they they're know trying if they're doing to hit. well? Well, 
Like you said, your sales are up for August, but how do you know that that didn't come from just one person, whereas somebody else might have fallen behind by 15% and somebody else was yeah, up Yeah, so we're looking, 30. this doesn't have to do with like recording data that has to do with quality or some kind of certification. What this has to do with is recording data that doesn't contribute to some kind of useful management. So like you can record data that's useful in a coaching call and in a management call with your team member, but then there's data that you can record that really nothing happens with right. it and, it and it isn't very useful. And there's a lot of companies out there that are asking their team to record data that never gets brought up in the future, but they have to do it in order yeah, to keep their the jobs. So my brother knows we've had him on the show a few times. He's like a lean guy, you know, it's all about eliminating waste and speeding things up. And whenever we're talking about data like this, he says, any data that's not used, any data that you record and it doesn't get used to make improvement is just waste. It's literally just like wasted money. Yeah, it's I not agree. lean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like that. And information waste is something that when you think lean, you always think, okay, process improvement in the shop floor or whatever, but like wasted information. Yeah. That's what it is. Wasted information is probably starts with wasted action because you're taking some kind of action in order to record that information. And, and that's some, what I'm getting at. Something and else nobody that I was wants thinking, to do that. I don't have like really low level activity based sales meetings with my people. And when I do, it's always a bad sign. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's usually a sign that you're something's going to right? Because that's when you actually need to get into that detail is because you have to like get your paper ready yes. so that if something happens, you're covered or whatever. But yep. what I'm getting at is like, so if someone's hitting their sales targets, they're hitting the result, then we focus on that and like what we're going to do in the future to continue to keep it going. But if they're not hitting their result, then it's like, well, why aren't you achieving your objectives? What does your activities look like? What did you even do? Now all of a sudden I care about their activities a ton because I'm like, well, they don't hit the result. So my best guy is like, I don't talk about activities that much. Right. My worst guys, it's like, all right, I need to see your calendar. I need to see what you're doing. I need to see like the calls that you've logged. And like, I'm not saying I don't look at that for my best guys because sometimes I want to look at what my best guys are doing and, and say like, okay, well, look what he did. Maybe do some of that, you know, mm -hmm. or like, mm -hmm. but so the information is valuable, but I guess what I'm getting at is I spend more time focusing on activity-based data with the guys who don't do a great job. Maybe I should focus on the activity-based data with the guys that do do a great job. <laughs> or should you just be helping to coach them through bigger gains by doing whatever they've always been doing? Because maybe they understand yeah. how to take care of those. those yeah, clients. and I think one thing that I'm picking up from your messaging is like how much data is really necessary and right. going to be used, and then what do sales managers do that make people feel like a number? Like yeah, and I feel like this you kind said of minutes. How many minutes they spent and what they talked about? Well, some oh, people geez. need to. There's some companies that require. I mean, it doesn't. Ugh. It's not just sales require them to like account for everything they do throughout the day. And you know, I think a lot of times that the larger the company, they're asking them to do that. But like, why? Like, what is that for? And are you treating your employees in a manner that they should be treated? Yeah, I don't think they are. I think as it relates so to, are say, we going off on a tangent here? No, no. Oh. I think the bottom line is that everybody needs to take a step back and think about this because I've talked to other manufacturing leaders. I'm even thinking back to somebody who was on the show and I looked at their compensation program, their bonus program that they have for the whole team. So this goes to machinists, accounting department, marketing department, sales department, everybody. Everybody's got this very complex scenario for them to receive a bonus. And there's a lot of data there for those team members as a manufacturing company and not as big as your company, Nick, but bigger than our companies, Jim. And I'm like, that's 
what, you know, they got to be working. Like they're tracking all of this activity and all this data that is this, is this really helpful? Or would it be more helpful just to coach them through best practice and help them coach them when they're having trouble, when they're not meeting their numbers and then digging into the activities when you feel like it's a, we're in crisis mode. Yeah. Right. So, but as it relates to credentialing, Jim, yeah, you have to do those things. I have to. And we are too, like as a company, all of our customers expect that what they get is exactly what they want and they don't want to get, they don't want to order A and get B. So we have a quality and process that we go through in order to make sure that our clients are getting what they need to. So um, I'm not throwing those things out. I'm just saying, look at the data you're collecting and ask yourself, is this necessary? And make sure that your people are not wasting their time. Measure what matters. Yeah, right? because I mean, going back to the whole employment thing, somebody's going to leave over this if they're getting a headache over spending a good chunk of their time doing administrative work. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is that you do need to collect some data, but take a step back and say, how much data are we collecting? Because you need to know the numbers and you need to know whether you're making money as a company. And what's the cost of the data, right? Like, Right, what's the cost of the data? Like With tools like Amper, you can collect data super fast and you didn't really have to do a lot. But with managing people to tell you how many seconds they talked about this, that actually has a lot of cost. That has a lot of cost. Exactly. Metalworking Nation, you probably know Zometry as a digital platform where you can get custom manufacturing on demand with instant quotes. But let me tell you about something new. Now you can source high volume projects directly from Zometry suppliers. Do you have a higher volume CNC sheet, die casting, or metal printing project? Do you need to get multiple quotes from different vendors and you have time to wait to get them? Now you can get many quotes directly from the Zometry network suppliers. You have total control. You name your target price, your target lead time, and you directly communicate with suppliers to get the best deal. This is a new way to source bigger jobs different from instant quoting. You can upload your 2D or 3D files. So it's more than just instant quoting from Zometry. You can source high volume projects directly from the Zometry suppliers. Check it out at Zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. And you know that old metaphor that my dad used to mention all the years of my life. Was your dad collecting data back in the day? No, or did he, he was just say, not. get those parts done? They used to collect data on a sheet of paper and the secretary used to record the data in quarter hour time and increments and write it on a ledger book. Your dad would probably be like, how many cigarettes did you smoke today? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that was his metric. Yeah. How many cigarette breaks did you take? Yeah, exactly. So what was the old machinist saying, Jim? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.